All right, good morning, Calvary Church. It is so great to see you again. My name is Eric Wakeling, pastor here at Calvary, and looking forward to digging in to God's Word again. And we are in this series in the book of Hebrews, this sub-series of it called A Better Hope, because what we have in Jesus is a better hope than anything else. It was better for the people of Israel, the Jewish people, in the time this was written, and it's better for us today. And so just sort of playfully and in a fun way in light of that, like just want to think of a, a couple things of what's better. Like what do you think is better? And you can kind of shout these out in your homes or you can write into the chat if you want to of just kind of saying what you think is better. So, you know, just some fun things like meat lovers or veggie when you're pizza. Okay, well, what's better? Meat lovers or veggie? What do you love the most? What is better? Maybe it's uh, more things that you like in tacos. Carne asada or al pastor? Okay, so which do you like? I mean, I'm a big al pastor guy, not just because I'm a pastor, but, but just got to be shaved straight off the trompo there. That's how you want it. I don't know. What do you think's better though? What's better? How about what's better with uh, different kinds of soup? I, I, is it pho? Is it ramen? I'm a big ramen guy. Maybe, you know, maybe it's chicken noodle for you. I don't know. But just what is it? What is better? Absolutely, ramen is better and only at Santuca. Bring it, fight me, come at me. I don't care what you do. Is it uh, milk or meat? What is better? You might just be like, what are you talking about? And that is total Christianese, milk or meat. Because when we think about like just a couple uh, like sermons ago, we talked about how it's time to move on from milk to meat, from baby food to grown-up food. And that's really what we're going to be doing today. This digs in deep and it gets a little bit, uh, it's, it's, it's rich, it's thick, it's complicated, all of that. Uh, and so one last, uh, what is better, old or new? Old or new, what is better? better. Maybe you're a traditionalist. You like the old. Maybe you're just like always wanting the new thing, which is better. Now, some of you are going to not love this. I don't know if you're shouting out anything there in your homes of which is better, old or new. But I'm here to tell you today that the new is better. All right, the new is better. So if you love the, the classics, the old school, uh, you might be getting mad at me, but I'm telling you why in the serious stuff way, the new is better here. And we're in Hebrews 7, as you can see, Hebrews 7, 1 to 8, 6 is our text today. But when we think about the new is better, it's funny, like, yeah, like, like these, these companies try to make us think always the new is better. And sometimes we kind of fight it even. Like you've got Apple with the iPhone and then you have this button and they're telling you that it's got, you know, your thumbprints in it. And this is the, this is the way. And you, you start to sort of fall in love with it and you get comfortable with it and you like it. And then the next year they come out with a new one and they're like, no. Buttons are old. No buttons is what's cool. That's what's new. And so then you're like, ah, but I like my button. And you freak out because you're like, ah, oh, I want my button back. Please don't take away the button. And we like literally freak out about these kind of things. I remember when Facebook, like a few years ago, changed the way everything looked. And it was like as if people lost their minds because a platform of a social media thing they used looked different. And for us, a lot of times... 
it's hard to deal with change. Change is hard for so many of us. And we think the old is always better. We like what we had. But eventually we come to realize the new is actually better. And when it comes to what's serious here, imagine if you were like the people of Israel, where the entire way that you connect with God, the entire way that you come to find that for you to to go from a sinner and like bound for damnation to being able to have your sins covered and forgiven, the entire way for that to happen, the entire way for you to be made right with God, you thought it was this one way, but now it's all changed and it's new and it's better It's in Jesus, but it's all changed. And imagine how you'd freak out if that, everything of what you're about, your culture, your identity, your salvation, all of that now has changed. That's what the people who are reading or having read to them this book of Hebrews, this letter, as it's being spoken to them, they're like dealing with that kind of struggle, dealing with that kind of change. But God says, this is better. The new is better. And what's interesting, even in Hebrews um, 7, as we look at it, it, you see the word better throughout it. Chapter, or chapter 7, verse 19 even says, that's where we have it say, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. So there's this bringing in, that's where we see this, a better hope. There's a bringing in of a better hope for us to draw near to God. That's here. Verse 22 says that Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. So Jesus is guaranteeing us this this contract, this promise, this way of, of relating to God, this whole thing that had been set up from God. God made it up and he says, hey, there's a better way. There's a better covenant that I have for you. And then chapter 8, verse 6, it says again that he's a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. So there were these promises that were from God that now God says, here's promises in Jesus that are better. But again, it's all changing on them. And he uses as this example of understanding of how and why it's better and why Jesus is better is that Jesus is this high priest that's better than the priests that they're used to. And he's a priest like this guy named Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek is a weird word. It's a hard word. It's a name of a guy that was a priest and king. So let's check him out a little bit, all right? He's only in the Bible in a couple spots. We talked about him a little bit a couple weeks ago. But he's in Genesis 14, verse 17, is where you've got this whole story where Abraham has gone out and he's fought against these other kings and he's won this battle. And it says, uh, after he's gone and won this battle, verse 18, it says, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God most high. So this guy, Melchizedek, he brings out bread and wine, which should be a little bit of like a clue there for you of seeing even something related to Jesus when we think of communion and bread and wine. And this guy, Melchizedek, his name even means king of righteousness, king of justice. And he's the king of a place called Salem, which is actually Shalom, which becomes Jerusalem. And so he's the king of peace, because Shalom means peace. And he's a priest 
of Yahweh, God Most High. But this is before Moses. It's before the Israelites are in the wilderness. It's before they're given the Ten Commandments and the law and the system of priests and sacrifices and all of that. He's a priest before all of that, but he's a priest of Yahweh God. And so this guy says, He blessed Abraham and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who's delivered your enemies into your hands. And Abram gave him a tenth of all. So he gives this tithe to this priest king, Melchizedek. All right, there's a lot to learn in there about him. Let's look at one more passage. Psalm 110, and we'll just read verse 1 and 4. And it says, The Lord says to my Lord, which is a little of a weird expression, but this is one of those psalms that's called a messianic psalm. It is a psalm that is talking about the Messiah to come. Jesus has not come yet when they're writing this. They're, they're thinking and writing of the one that will come one day. And so it's saying essentially, the Father says to the Son, the Lord says to the Messiah, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And then verse 4 says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. All right, so you've got this priest that is like in this whole messianic psalm is being referred to that this Messiah will be a priest forever like Melchizedek. Okay, so you've got this priestly king in Jerusalem that Abraham himself pays homage to. That's who Melchizedek is. And what's interesting is part of what the the authors of the New Testament are doing is that they're trying to tell you that Jesus isn't just the king of the Jews. He's the king of the universe. Yes, he's the king of the Jews, but he's the king of everyone. He's for everyone. He's came, he's come for everyone. And so that's why you don't need circumcision. You don't need the law and the sacrificial system and all of that anymore. And so this passage that we're looking at, it says somebody is greater than Abraham. You got to understand this if you don't know this, that Abraham is the godfather, okay, of the whole Jewish people, the Israelites. He is the godfather. It goes Abraham, Isaac, then Jacob. His name becomes Israel. Then they're the Israelites. But Abraham is the one that God makes this covenant with, that he has made this promise to. So then he comes along and is blessed by Melchizedek, and Abraham gives a tenth of his stuff to Melchizedek, and Melchizedek is called greater than Abraham. And you know what? Melchizedek is a Canaanite king. He's a king in the land. This is the land that the Israelites are going to have to go in and conquer the people, the promised land where they can go in and then defeat all these others so they can have this land that God has promised to them. Well, Melchizedek is a Canaanite king. He's one of these others. He's one of these people that are, were not thought of as the people of God, but he's a priest of Yahweh. And so that's where he's talking about this is the greater one. And so it's just kind of like blowing the minds of all the Jewish people and welcoming in everyone else. And so I know it's a lot, but that gets us into Hebrews 7. 
And so as we then read through Hebrews 7, 1, we start to see, okay, now I can get it what he's talking about here. Because it says this. If you've got a Bible, turn to it. Turn to it in your phone, your app, whatever. It says this. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him, to whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth part of all the spoils. He was first of all, by the translation of his name, king of righteousness, then also king of Salem, which is king of peace. So hopefully you're like, oh, okay, now I can get this. Understanding all that context, I understand now what Hebrews 7, 1 and 2 is talking about. Verse 3, it says, Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, not the Son of God, he made like the Son of God, he remains a priest perpetually. So this guy, Melchizedek, it's never talked about his parents. It's never talked about his death. It's never talked about any of that. And so kind of in this similar way that he just remains as Jesus remains. Verse 4. Now observe how great this man was, to whom Abraham, the patriarch, the godfather, gave a tenth of the choicest spoils. And those indeed of the sons of Levi who received the priest's office. Now the sons of Levi, to remember to understand, these are like what we think of as the normal priests. The priests of the system that they would know. The Aaron is the first priest of like the Levites. And it's all of them that are those priests. So the sons of Levi who receive the priest's office have commandment in the law to collect a tenth from the people. That is from their brethren. Although these are descended from Abraham... But the one whose genealogy is not traced from them, Melchizedek, he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed the one who had the promises. But without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. So the greater one always blesses the one that is less. In this case, mortal men receive tithes. But in that case, one receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives on. And so to speak, through Abraham, even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. So they're saying like, so to speak, even the normal priests, like what you think of as the priests of this ironic order of the Levites, they actually themselves gave a tithe to Melchizedek because Abraham did. But anyway, just so to speak. So that's where we get here. And we have an understanding then of how Jesus is similar to Melchizedek. He lives forever. He gives bread and wine. Uh, his ministry is timeless. It's not just about his ancestry. Uh, they both ministered to all, not to just the Jews. Um, these ironic priests, the Levites, will die. Melchizedek and Jesus never did, or at least we don't know of Melchizedek's death. So that's all of that understanding of why now the old is out, the new is in. Okay, the old is out, the new is in. It is now time for that old system of sacrifice, that old system of circumcision and the law. All of that is out. There is a new thing. And that new thing is talked about in verses 11 to 28. And there's a lot. So we're just going to kind of go through it relatively quickly. And the things that we understand about this section is that the old was changeable. Okay, this old system 
of sacrifice and the priests and all of that was changeable. And you see that in 11 to 14. I mean, it says in verse 12, for when the priesthood is changed of necessity, there takes place a change of law also. This old way was changeable and it wasn't just temporary. It was intentionally temporary. It was set up to be just for a time. It wasn't what was perfect. We, we even look in verse 18. It says, on the one hand, there's a setting aside of a former commandment, listen to this, because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. All right. The law didn't make anyone perfect. It was just set up for a time to help us to know our sin, to have covering over our sin until the new came. And the new comes, and we see that in 20 through 28, and that new never changes. It says you're a priest forever. You will not, the Lord has sworn, will not change his mind. That new is uninterrupted. Just like these priests would die, Jesus will never die. And the new thing made the old unnecessary. Check this out. It says, For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices because he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. He never sinned so he can offer up his life once and for all. So the old is out, the new is in, and the new is Jesus. I want you to see this here. The new is Jesus. And Jesus is indestructible. Jesus is a guarantee, it says. Jesus lives forever. And Jesus is always praying for you. And what Jesus did was once for all. It covered it forever. And Jesus is perfect. So all of that is who Jesus is. The old is out. The new is in. And so Jesus is making a completely new way. So don't go creating for yourself. The author of Hebrews is saying to them, hey, don't go back to the old law. Don't do that. Stick with Jesus because he's all of this. He's this guarantee that lives forever, is once and for all, and is perfect. Don't go back to the olds. And so for you, don't go creating a new law. Don't go creating a new law that maybe for you is out of this sort of moral behavior. And it's like, I'm going to follow all the rules. And for me, that's going to be my law. And if I'm following the rules, then I feel like I'm good and I'm saved and I'm pleasing God. Or it's like this gold star chart for Jesus that we create. If we do more good things and not just avoid bad things, but we start to live this life of helping others, that then now we think that that will help us to be one with God more, to please God more in that way. But Jesus says, no, that is out. The old is out. It's good to avoid sin and it's good to do good deeds, but that is after we have been saved by grace. And that this is all by Jesus who paid the price once and for all. It's all by his blood. And I love what... Um, then this passage says, if you look at chapter 8, verse 1, it says something kind of, I, I think it's fun when the Bible says this. Because it's like just said a lot of really kind of like complex, deep stuff. And then 8, verse 1 says, 
Now the main point in what has been said is this. And you're like, oh, okay, thank you. I'm going to start like, that should be a clue, like pay attention. He just said a bunch of stuff about people named Melchizedek and all sorts of weird priestly systems. And you're, okay, okay, now the main point is this. So what should I pay attention to? And it says, we have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. The main point is this, is that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven. That our high priest is actually the Son of God. Our high priest is God himself. That's what you need to understand. That there's this whole system of priests. They could do some stuff. They had something to offer. Our high priest has something far greater to offer because he sits at the right hand of the Father in the very throne room of God himself. And then he starts to talk about in chapter 8 here at the beginning, he starts to talk about the throne room of God. And he starts to talk about the temple and how the temple, it says, is just a shadow and a copy. Okay, that it says the priests in the temple, they would serve a copy and a shadow. This is verse five of the heavenly things. Just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the temple and God says, build it in this very specific way because the temple is a shadow and copy of the throne room of God. And they had to set it up in that way. And so all of what they're doing is this shadow and copy. But Jesus brings us to the true original version. He actually will take us to the very throne room of God, not just this copy. So imagine if your whole life is about a shadow and a copy. It's like, it's like thinking foosball. It, you play foosball your whole life and you think that's what soccer is. Right? It's like eating turkey bacon your whole life and thinking that's what bacon actually tastes like. It's like being engaged and thinking that's what marriage is all about. It's like being a Clippers fan. Let's just be real. It's like being a Clippers fan and thinking that's what it's like to root for a really great team. I, I love bring the hate. I feed off of it. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, no, but just for real, it's just imagine this whole thing that the temple is a shadow and a copy. It's just, it's in that way that Jesus, what he's about is to bring us to the real. Jesus offers us something that no other priest could offer. And that's the real thing because Jesus does have a better hope for us. A better hope for us to be able to draw near to God. A better hope for us that has better promises. It's once for all. It's forever. It's all of that. And imagine as they've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. And we have that same gift. The Holy Spirit of God dwelling within us. And then we think, no, you know what? I'm going to do this out of my own strength. I'm going to do this out of my own power. I'm going to just try and outthink all of this myself. When God has given us his very spirit dwelling within us and then we want to go back to some, something else or make up something new, that's just a shadow. It's just a copy. But God says, no, I'm giving you the real. I've given you a better promise. And I, I still think it's just so amazing that it's God himself that, 
that made those promises. It's God himself that made those covenants and established all of that. And then he says, I have something better even than what I offered you before. So let's pay attention to that. Let's think about that. And so if Jesus is better than the temple, if Jesus is better than the promises that God himself made, how much better is he than the many things which so easily distract us from single-minded devotion to him? There's a lot of things that distract us from God. There's a lot of idols in our life. There's idols that are negative. There's idols that we follow like money and idols that we follow like even famous people or social media or whatever that is. There's all sorts of idols that are negative in that way. But there's idols that we create that can feel like it's the right thing to do. Idols, like I said, of moral behavior. Idols of good deeds, helping the poor in certain ways or whatever, thinking that if we do that, then we'll be, you know, then we'll have salvation. Then God will be pleased with us more than he is. And we have to recognize that all of that, or even just having a Christian culture and identity, that is an idol. And here in our country of America, we have very, very much so created an idol of what it's sort of this like Americana Christianity thing that maybe sometimes we follow more than we follow the words of the book that God has given us. So let us not follow the Americana Christianity, but the Christianity of Jesus. And sometimes we think of that the problem with, with that Americana Christianity is it feels like that's the old. That feels like that's what we're supposed to be doing. And sometimes that's what God, I think, is saying. The old is out. Just of your culture and traditions, that's out. The new is in and the new is following God's word for what it says. The new is following Jesus for who he is. The new is having the Holy Spirit of God guide your life and not just sort of the, the ways of our culture that we've grown accustomed to. But with that, change is hard. Is change hard for you? Or are you the kind of person that change is hard for? It's a lot of us. You know, it's... It, Change is a difficult thing for us to process. And I mean, there's even like a, a book called Who Moved My Cheese to help people deal with change in the workplace. Because we're like, I, this was the target. This is the, like my prize. Here's my cheese if I'm a mouse. And why is someone moving it around? My target is changing. And this whole COVID season, I mean, it does feel like our target is constantly changing. And so for a lot of us that are, are change averse, this can be a hard time probably for you. But remember these people of Israel. Remember the people hearing this book of Hebrews. Everything has been changed on them through Jesus and Jesus' grace and love and forgiveness. All of that, all of the wonderful things we think about Jesus, were like flipping everything they knew about their culture, their identity, their way of life, much more than just their religion, much more than just their way to salvation and, and atonement for their sin. Everything was getting changed by Jesus. And it was so hard for them. And so the author is saying, don't go back to the old ways, even though that's comfortable. And so what I want you to recognize today is that if change is hard for you, change might be an idol, like lacking change might be an idol for you. The old might be an idol for you. That might be easier for you like it was 
for the Pharisees. The Pharisees, it was the hardest thing for them to change because they were the ones with all the power, the control, and they were the ones that were most used to this old system. And they also controlled the system. So for you, where are you and how you are able to have power and control in the system? And how is change super difficult for you? But don't lose the plot. It's about the change of Jesus and how Jesus brings grace. Jesus brings love and forgiveness in the midst of our attempts of good deeds and moral behavior. Jesus is still alive. Jesus saves you forever. He always lives to pray for you to the Father. He has beaten sin once and for all. He's a better priest in a better system of better promises. So don't go back to your old ways. So I encourage you even now, as we consider how we would respond, we respond to this today by praying through this. And I would just love for you to spend 30 to 60 minutes with God this week. I want you to do that every day, every week, okay? But like make an intentional plan to spend some time with God this week to pray through what are the old ways that I have trusted Okay? What are the old things I have trusted in for me to please God and have a relationship with God, connection to God, salvation, and reflect on then the better hope, the better promises, the better ways that Jesus has established as this new high priest and renounce the idols of being good for the true promise of God's unquenchable grace. As we prepare to sing and worship, let us pray and, and give ourselves to God fully in that way now. So Almighty God, we come before you and recognize that we know that you are the better way, the better hope, the better promise, Lord Jesus. And we thank you that you came and changed everything. But I pray, God, for the ways that over time we have added to the, the way that we think this, this whole thing of Christianity is supposed to be lived. And I pray that you would help us to see the parts of that that are idols and the parts of that that are good. What are the parts that we should renounce and what are the things that we should hold on to? And so may your grace, may your love be the thing that we hold on to and may it be in you, Lord Jesus, alone that we find our hope, that we find salvation and we find the way to live each day today. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's sing together.